from the Three Story Method Podcast Network. This is the Serial Fiction Show. I'm Christine Daigle. And I'm J.P. Reinbush. Welcome to the Writer's Serial Fiction Show. This is a companion podcast to the Reader's Serial Fiction Show. If you haven't listened to today's story, we'd encourage you to pause and go listen to LPM Sinclair's episode on our companion podcast first. We can only play half the episode. So if you like what you hear, check out the full episode free on Bella. The link to the podcast and the Bella episode are in the show notes. So, Christine. So, JP. Uh, we are batch recording, uh, as is the huge. Yes. But... Uh, we don't have any personal progress, but we do have another question for our audience. So our wonderful author this week, she does her own art for her Bella episodes. She does. She does amazing art. I know. It's fantastic. So if you have a hobby what that is outside of writing, what do you do to tie it back into writing if you do? And what does that look like? Let us know. Share what you do. Tell us what you do. Yeah. Share your life. Tell you us knit? your secrets. Do you bake? Do you knit? Do you garden? Do you fly hot air balloons? How does that show yeah. up in your cereal? Yeah. Do you have a crazy fantasy garden Pinterest board because you're a gardener and a fantasy writer and all of a sudden you have crazy glowing mushrooms that I need to see right now? The answer is probably cool. yes. Do you make fantasy uh, costumes? I want to see that too. Tell us all about yeah. it. Do you knit adorable little monsters that are from your Vela? Uh, please do share with me. Yeah, those little crochet guys. Those are so cute. I want to see them all. Yeah. So I'm just saying, one of you exists out there. I know it. And but you need to share that. We do have something exciting that uh, has happened that we can oh, we share. Do. We now have... <laughs> Serial fiction show stickers. <laughs> that, that is very true. Um, on a lark, uh, dear Christine decided that she wanted to create stickers of the basement troll and the attic hobgoblin and our wonderful sound engineer, Puka. <laughs> so if you would like sticker sheets with JP as an attic goblin and myself as a basement troll and our sound engineer and wonderful writer and actor James as the floorboard puka. You can find them on our Patreon. Come check it out. The link's in the show notes. Yeah. And uh, like we're in the style of like chibi adorableness. So it's already on my computer because it's adorable. It's freaking adorable. Come get some chibis of our face. (laughs) <laughs> that's a throwback you to know you want to see us <laughs> yes you want to see there's a goat munching my hair from the episode we talked about that and there's jp with a banana from the what banana episode <laughs> oh that'll never get old in my head that will never get old all right let's talk to our author yeah after we talk about pro writing aid oh yeah pro writing right, aid right now yes pro writing aid so one of the things that I like to use is an echoes check. So it highlights any word and phrases that you've repeated within a short space of the writing. So, you know, you don't want your, your writing to sound repetitive. So you can try and think of another word to say. So it will tell you close repeats. So often, you know, especially when we're drafting, we just are kind of moving the story along and we just have the same word stuck in our head. And sometimes you can just use a word that's 
even a little bit of an odd word uh, over and over. So like at one point, at one point, and you know, you just keep kind of doing that. I put it in my pocket and I put it in my pocket and, and that happens to me all the time when I'm first drafting pro writing aid catches those. And it's like, dude, change up your words. I don't know mm-hmm. why I said dude, but it tells me to change up my words and, you know, and um, it'll give you some suggestions that don't sound so thesaurusy. So you're not writing a word salad. You want to know, you want to know what my biggest problem is? Yes. All of my damn characters shrug. <laughs> Oh, constantly. They're just shruggers. What's happening with their shoulders? Why do they keep moving up and down? That's my problem. I constantly, my characters are shrugging. Uh, They are smiling. Mine are shrugging and smiling and looking. Mine look. They just look. What are they looking at? I don't even know anymore. They're just doing things. They're looking (laughs) this way. They're shrugging. They're basically like weird little puppets on strings. (laughs) And sometimes they shouldn't be. Exactly. So yeah, if you want to take a look and see where you are just using the same things over and over close together, prowritingaid.com. Use our discount code, Serial20, get 20% off. Exactly. All right. Party. Okay. So this hook, I didn't know if I was a good person. That is such a good hook to have. Like, are they a good person? I don't know. I need to read more. So I'm curious, uh, do you think about hooks when you are writing your scenes and what does that process look like? So I have had the wonderful experience of writing short horror. So you need to hook people with every single paragraph ender. Um, keep people reading. Um, I'm sure that Christine knows about this as well with uh, her serials. Um, but everything needs to just have an element of intrigue. And I love to end my chapters with absolute mic drops. Um, I usually have those sentences in mind when I start the chapter, um, when I start writing it. In fact, there are many times when I just write the line and then go all the way back through the story when I'm writing and figure out ways to make those work. (laughs) Um, So this first hook was one of those mic drop sentences that was originally at the end. And then I was like... I need to open this on a character because Mira's a very gray, um, morally gray kind of character. She kills for a living, but she's kind of tired and bored with her life. Um, so opening on her being a little tipsy and a little introspective was just very on brand for her. So um, the hook came from that and I wanted to move it forward to be like, this is the character you're dealing with. One who's not sure about her life. <laughs> Yeah, and it seems like that very first sentence may be tied into your theme or armature about what makes you a good person. Uh, yes, yeah, know. that's a huge theme that's explored through the whole thing because she's been killing ghouls, which are um, not always that far away from humans. Um, they're corrupted by magic, so some of them are truly feral. But there are also ghouls that speak and have conversations and they might have forgotten some of their language because they're so divorced from their culture because of the um, humans' efforts to wipe them out. Um, But the theme of her figuring out, like, maybe ghouls aren't the bad ones. Maybe humans are the issue. Maybe everyone fighting with everyone is the problem. Um, So that's just the theme of the whole series in general is figuring that out and getting to the point where she can confidently say that she's made an improvement or is a good person or isn't a good person. (laughs) Definitely. Now, when it comes to her as a character, uh, 
we see her in this first scene, you know, her motivation is basically that she wants money. Um, yes. And then her yep, need. She's money motivated. <laughs> yeah. And then her, her need is this, she needs connection, really. That's, that's what we feel yeah. like she kind of needs. So we're curious when you're constructing characters or even just writing them out on the page, do you think about character motivation and wants? And what does that look like? Yeah. Um, there, um, anyone who's read the first book of my series knows that in probably the fourth paragraph, my main character, Sky, lists what she wants. She wants a family. She wants power. She wants a little bit of a love story. Um, and that is what the entire book is about. So that I'm usually very upfront in my writing and outlining exactly for the reader, this is what they want. Um, whether or not that is what they need is a question, isn't it? Um, and I get to explore, does what they want change? Because right now, when we open with Mira, she thinks that she wants money and she wants to drink away her problems and she wants to just live her life and get it over with, essentially. Um, she's bored with her existence and um, she hasn't had an actual friend or you know human connection with anyone in a long time. Um, partially her fault, partially just the world's fault because the humans treat her so badly um, just for existing and doing the job she does and being a part of the culture that she's from. Um, so yeah, her character motivations are driven by that and figuring out what do I want and what do I need? And I definitely have those changes written out for her character arc and who she becomes and who she is at the beginning. Yeah, and I think you definitely see that in the first episode uh, with the main uh, core of this scene is that she has this wizard who is a race she's supposed to hate, wants to hire her, but mm -hmm. she wants money. So that's the conflict. And, and she's like, yeah, I'll do it for the money. And then it's a great cliffhanger because you've left us with she's going to spend a year of her life with him and she doesn't like him, but there's this hint of these sexy adventures to come. So yes, Tencent is, <laughs> Tencent is painfully sexy, as I am told many times by readers. Um, yeah, he, he's from a creed um, of wizards that are magic users also, but they look at the Crimson Steel like they're inferior, stupid. Um, it's a jocks versus nerds situation. Uh, Crimson Steel are the jocks that get stuff done. And the Crimson Steel look at the wizards as nerds who never actually do anything with their magic. So she has to you know, really wrestle with that. She's going to spend a year with him. And um, yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, cliffhanger to leave everyone on. And I like to do that because it is an enemies to lovers and it really sets you up for a slow burn. I mean, a year is a long time, even if she doesn't feel that way. Yeah, I really enjoyed, I think it was in the second or third episode where uh, he he's putting up the tent and she's judging him before he even puts the tent up because she's just like, mm, oh, this is going to be fun to watch a nerd try to put this tent up. And then he just magics right. it up and she's like, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> wizard bullshit. Yes. Uh. Yeah. Wizard bullshit is a sicker. I now sell because people just every time he does something that like wizard bullshit, I get DMs all the time. It makes me yeah. laugh. <laughs> uh, that's perfect branding. Uh, very wise of you. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, what is your best tip for writing en enemies to lovers romance? Oh, goodness. I have not done this enough to really have that. I think the main thing that I always look for in an enemies to lover romance is avoiding actual abuse and like true vitriol hatred. Um, because at the end of the day, if they have nothing in common and nothing that they can connect about um, or even... Um, 
looking at each other and being like, I just, he's not attractive. I hate him. Um, there's no reason for your characters to be together. There's just not. Um, every, if that's not apparent from the first meeting, that's okay. But eventually they have to have something in common and they have to connect over that um, and making sure that that happens soon enough. So there's that romantic intrigue of like, ooh, they agree um, can be very satisfying for readers, even if it's just on a small point, like they like the same kind of tea. Um, but I think definitely avoiding some of the more... Uh, borderline abusive stuff. I can't read it. I've talked to so many readers that can't read it. It puts you on a list of potentially problematic, even if you do eventually resolve it or explain their reasoning. I never like that power dynamic. Um, any way it falls, it's not my, it's not my thing. Um, so I try to go out of my way to have characters that will eventually connect and don't ever make um wildly unhealthy choices there are of course problems but i think there are other ways to generate that conflict yeah i hard agree with that for sure um so what is your process for balancing the action and, and monsters with the romantic elements of this fella um so far so when i started writing it um it was supposed to be a novel so i've of course done some tweaks to it um but looking at the episodes now and how i try to balance everything um, the first few episodes aren't great examples because there aren't any monsters. It's settled Estinla. We have to get into the wilds first. Um, but I try to open it a little bit, give you a little bit of a context for where they are, what they're doing. Um, and then if I'm going to introduce a fight, it's going to happen in the middle. Um, and it's going to go fairly quickly because she's a professional. <laughs> um, and then at the end, I try to link what happened in the fight into a more um, character connection, usually a conversation. Um, they'll sit together and have a drink or they'll talk about um, what happened or because Tenson's also out there researching monsters. So he has questions every time she kills something. Um, so I try to make it so that there's little bit of an introduction, some action, and then some character growth. And I usually leave you on the mic drop cliffhanger of like, ooh, she likes him a little bit more, or ooh, I have questions, um, something along those lines. But that's how I've tried to balance it, especially as I get more into um, more into their hunts later in the book series where they're walking around the wilds. Um, that's usually, that's my go-to structure and that will, that adapts, um, of course, but the character connection is always what I try to come back to because that's the point of the whole thing is the character connection. Yeah, that's such a smart way of doing that dynamic with, you know, your one character who is the, the annihilator who takes out these monsters. Mm -hmm. But then you have this the secondary character who's your second character uh, who is into the research. You know, what happened? How do, can we break this down and has to talk? Uh, so you you very you allude to the fact that they can then join together and have this character moment after these high actions. And that's just such a smart thing to do. So. 
we already know that you talked uh, about tabletop RPGs, and I believe I saw on your TikToks that you do LARPing as well. How have these? Yes, yes I, I enjoyed the elf ears; they were fantastic. Um, yeah, I also um, I just got back from a Renaissance festival yesterday. I bought a new sword. Excellent! I'm in love with him. I love He's it. wonderful. Hey, <laughs> um, does he but yes, name? yes, it's Geralt's sword. Um, it's the steel sword from I think Game Two. I will have to double check my trivia. I'm a fake fan. <laughs> um, yeah, but I I love swords and weaponry, and thankfully my husband is happy to indulge me, and he says he's not as into it. Um, he is. <laughs> um, he has uh, more fencing knowledge than I do, so fighting him is a lot of fun um, with foam swords, of course. It's great couples therapy. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I do love any kind of role-playing, but LARPing, and I love to bring in the props and the costumes. It just makes my heart happy. <laughs> it's wonderful. And it sounds like, so at least swordplay uh, probably influenced your writing, but what other aspects have influenced your writing? Um, I mean, in general, just learning how to have those in-character conversations with people um, is a huge help because I feel like I can drop into any character at any given time and make sure that I'm having authentic interactions. And I've gotten comments and whether or not everyone agrees is, of course, you know, um, it's subjective. But I've gotten comments that my dialogue comes across very natural and very in character. And I do go out of my way to do that. And that is, I have a huge credit to RPGs in general. Um for teaching me that and making sure that I can drop into those characters and give them all a natural voice. So you do the RPGs and the LARPing and you also do art. So how do your art and your writing inspire each other? Oh, I never feel like I know a character until I've drawn them. Um, in fact, usually I draw them first and then I figure that out. Um, the one exception was Tencent because I had a picture of a um, blue wizard in my head and I didn't get to drawing him until after I've written this very suave magenta wearing um, just drama king waltzing into uh, Mira's life um, he was the one exception but for every other character I have to draw them first before I really know them and I know the world I want to put them in um, so those two things go together and I <laughs> I blame a lot of the anime and a lot of the shows that I've watched for viewing things in a very cinematic way. I'm a visual person. So when I write it, it definitely helps to have that idea of this is the cinematic art. This is the frame. This is the scene that I want to write and I want to draw. Um, so I tried to bring everything together and as vivid as possible. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was really smart in your first episode with having all the wizards wear distinctly different colors because it yes, was such a great visual. Like I could, I was yes. like, oh, it's the orange one and the green one and the magenta one. And I could just quickly identify them by the contrast. So I really thought that was smart. Yes. And the colors are a huge part of wizard culture. We explore that more in, more in the books. Um, there's a, another character that I hint at that will be more of a big player going forward, but Carmela Brandt, and she constantly wears orange. So for the series, you have you have Tenson who's in blue and you have Carmela who's in orange and it immediately puts them as imposing forces to bring in a little bit of color theory for the readers. Um, yeah. So that that's uh, definitely a conscious choice that I made. And I love the idea of, you know, crimson and Mira constantly wearing her red and finding a blue wizard. 
Um, I love that. Yeah, that dynamic. (laughs) So this is a a big question, but I'm curious, what is your routine? And then what is your overall process in terms of like, do you outline, do you pants? What's that look like? Um, I, again, I thrive on chaos. Um, (laughs) um, I have a monthly goal that I do try to reach every month. Um, usually about 40,000 to 50,000 really depends on the month and how things are going in my life. Um, but I do the, do this full time. Um, so keep that in mind when you're comparing, you know, my word counts versus others. Um, at the end of the day, I try to write every day. Um, but it doesn't matter what that count looks like as long as I make it at the end of the month. So if someday it's only 500, that sucks, but it's not the end of the world because I know that on Tuesday I can write three three k, um, and it doesn't um, halt my progress at all. That's just how I that's just how I was that day. Um, so I think not beating yourself up for not getting to those constant lofty aspirational word counts. I think that that's um, important because then you just end up beating yourself up. Um, having goals is good beating yourself up is bad. (laughs) Um, so for my writing process, um, yeah, just getting the words down every day. Um, and then (laughs) as far as pantsing versus plotting, the answer is yes. (laughs) Um, I would call myself more of a discovery writer because I will have a very clear idea of who I want the characters to be in the beginning, the middle, the end. And I usually have, you know, a beginning scene or um, that pivotal moment. Um, I'm blanking on what that's called. A um, the moment where everything changes. That's what we're gonna call it. <laughs> um, so you have the moment that everything changes, and I try to start with that. Um, and then I usually have a middle scene. Um, for my novel, it was the party scene where Sky's in a gold dress, and I was like, "This is dramatic. This has to happen. I have to work the book around this." Um, Crimson Steel, without spoilers, um, there are a couple moments in there that I had to have. Um, so those went down first and then the ending is usually more of a nebulous goal, but I know where I want the characters to be. Um, and everything else is chaos. (laughs) Um, I worked to fill it in. I was disenchanted with the idea that I had to write everything in order. Um, so I, once I gave myself the freedom to write anything in any order, Um, Whatever I felt like writing that day, my word count skyrocketed. I was having so much more fun. Um, So I let myself work on any part of the piece, beginning, middle, and the filler in between. Um, And that that doesn't work for everyone, of of course, but um, some people have to work in order, and that's great, and that's good. But for me, that just wasn't working. I am chaotic being. I need more freedom to write what I want when I want to. Yeah, as as a creature of chaos uh, as well, um, I have to ask. So sometimes when I'm looking for inspiration, I pull tarot cards. Uh, I'm just curious, mm, do you roll yes. dice or do you do something else to kind of get that chaotic so, moment? <laughs> um, so when I'm very first looking at um, my characters and trying to get a feel for what would happen, what the character dynamics are, 
I do have a system for that. So thank you for bringing it up. I list all the characters one to 20. Um, usually it's not 20 by then. Um, and I have the main characters or the characters that I'm going to be using for perspectives, usually only one or two. Um, roll that dice, see who comes up and see what an interaction between them would be like. Um, I also have that for setting or weather. And I tend to use that a little bit more liberally as I'm telling the story. Sometimes I'm like, what the heck is the weather? I don't want to think about it. Roll. <laughs> um, so it is helpful to have those randomly generated things for me. And I like having them outside of um, the internet because the minute I open Google is the minute my pro my productivity goes down the drain. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> Go down those Google rabbit holes. Mm -hmm. ah, okay. So now we are a couple months into Vela. Is there anything that you've learned about the platform or in writing serials in general that you'd like to share with other writers? Oh, goodness. Um, writing serials in general, I would say just go for it, first of all. Um, they're different and harder to structure than novels, um, but I love the freedom of being able to stretch out my arcs instead of keeping myself to a very strict word count. That's part of the reason that I chose to serialize Crimson Steel um, was that it was just getting too big for the genre. I was looking at a 20K or not 20K, 200K book and going, I can't sell this. <laughs> the romance readers, they don't want this big giant thing. So being able to brand it as a serial where people can, you know, read it in smaller chunks and it doesn't feel as oppressive that way. I mean, there are serials out there that are a million words long and people still love them. Um, so Vela in general, um, when it came along, when it did, when I just finished the first 85,000 words or so, um, was a true blessing in that regard, because I knew I finally had the perfect outlet for this. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that's what I've learned is if you're, if you are looking at a book and you're like, I really want to explore this in a longer format than what my genre is allowing, and I feel like I can do it without it being an ambling story, serialization is a great option. I love it. So do you have any other writing plans in the works uh, or that you're dreaming up? Oh, yes. Um, I'm still working on uh, book two of my series, as I mentioned. Um, of course, there are three Crimson Steel books. So the first one is largely done. Um, I'm staring at it right now. It's it's chunky. <laughs> um, so I will be working on those. I have them planned. It'll be some nose to the grindstone work, but I am excited and I am in love with these characters. So it's not, not really work. Um, I am working on a remastering of a shorter novel that I wrote. It was only 50K, um, a shorter novel that I wrote back in 2019. And it was the first work that I had written for publishing. So it was kind of a training wheels book. Um, but now I get to go back and remaster it and make it that much better um, so that I can finally show it to the world <laughs> with my newfound knowledge that I've gained through writing the other books. Um, yeah. So I just have my series always going. I have a million ideas, but I usually tend to put them aside. Plot bunnies are dangerous, but I have to recommend them a little bit because if I didn't have plot bunnies, 
I wouldn't have written the first book in my series. I wouldn't have written Crimson Steel because ultimately Crimson Steel was a plot bunny that I caught and held on to very, very tightly. <laughs> Excellent. So as a final question, what would you say to someone looking to start a serial? Oh, goodness. Um, let's see. Um, look at other more serialized formats of stuff. Um, you internalize these beats a lot more than you think you do, just watching shows and reading manga and comic books. Um, but it is important to have that very consciously in mind when you're writing a Vela um, or any serialized anything. Um, I think Vela especially because people tend towards, you know, 2,500 words and it can be hard to keep yourself to that. Um, but uh, absorbing that kind of structure and learning how to shorten your work is important. Um, and learning how to keep yourself um, on your word count target while still telling a satisfying story takes practice. But just watching shows, reading manga will help immensely <laughs> um, as far as figuring out what that structure looks like. So, I mean, yeah, and just go read other serialized fiction, pick out what you, what you like, what you don't like, what hooks you, what doesn't. Um, it's like any other media. Don't in, go in entirely blind. Um, just absorb some of the work from other wonderful people in the genre. <laughs> Perfect advice. Support your other authors. Yes, definitely. That's number one. Number one advice is reach out to other authors. Give them love because they love you too. And we're all lonely. We're lonely people. We want to make friends. <laughs> Precisely. All right. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us and letting us talk about your Vela. Yeah, of course. Thanks. Our thanks today to LPM Sinclair for letting us break down their episode. We want to thank you for listening to the Reader Serial Fiction Show. If you know someone who might enjoy the show, send them your favorite episode link. And if you want to leave an Apple podcast review, we read all of them and use your suggestions. You can also leave a comment on the episode on our website, SerialFictionShow.com. We'd love to hear from you. And finally, we have a Patreon where you can get Serial Fiction Show episodes early. We also have tons of other things in the works. So check us out at patreon.com slash serial fiction show. Thanks. And we'll see you next time with another serial fiction episode. And, and that's, that's a wrap. wrap. Spliced. <laughs> Do you need <laughs> better to get grammar your shit together? <laughs> Are you a hot mess? Yes. No oh, writing aid will fix you. <laughs> that is extremely accurate. Uh, yeah, sometimes that really should be all their promos. Are you a hot mess? Pro writing aid will fix you. Pro writing aid.com. Are you words good? No. <laughs> Do try pro writing aid sometime? Yes. <laughs> An Oddly editor enough, you need? <laughs> yes. <laughs>
<laughs> Correct. What banana? <laughs> oh. Pro writing aid. Serial 20. S-E-R-I-L 20. <laughs> That's it. That's the that's the mineral we're using. That's it. Okay. Oh, should we do this outro? After I wipe these tears away. <laughs> <laughs>